I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back. Bless your boys podcast, bringing you the week in baseball news from a Detroit Tigers perspective. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let us get the show on the road. All right, welcome back, everybody. Got a special pair of guests for you tonight. We're going to do a little bit of draft talk. Um, I don't know, this is the point in the year where normally I would have just spent three weeks of the uh, the busiest part of the season going insane, um, writing uh, writing up the final rosters, opening day stuff, and then we'd be into minor league rosters and we should be covering minor league baseball right now. But here we are uh, with no baseball at all, um, some tentative plans. So we'll just do the best that we can. And uh, normally we wouldn't get into draft stuff necessarily this early, but um, hell, we got nothing else to do. So let's just do this and get into what we've got. Um, first, <laughs> for, first, I'd like to introduce a, an old friend of, uh, of Bless You Boys, but not really that old a friend because he just left a little while ago. Um, we've got Jay Markle, who writes for Motor, Motor City Bengals now, um, wrote for us for a long time, and wrote for Baseball Prospectus as well. Jay, how's it going tonight? I am having a fantastic night. Um, I've been working a significant amount of the day on my real job because I can work from home. Um, I'm kind of fortunate in that regard. A lot of people can't, so... I've been doing that most of the day, and I've been looking forward to this too. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been lucky in that I just don't have to work at all, and I'm still getting paid, which I'm very thankful for. I've never <laughs> n- never been in this position in my entire life, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, Michigan just issued the stay at home order through uh, April 30th now, so yeah, we're off till then. So I don't know. I'm just gonna try to keep myself busy. Um, Yep, and our and our other guest, Joe Doyle, writes for Prospects Live as well as Baseball America. Um, first time on the show. Really appreciate you coming on, Joe. How's it going tonight? Not bad. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're just uh, we're just hanging in here. Are you in uh, what state are you in, by the way? Um, I'm out here in Seattle, and uh, yeah, so I, I write for uh, write for Prospects Live, write for Baseball America, and then also your sister station. I write for uh, Lookout Landing over here in Seattle. So. Yeah, a lot of different, a uh, lot of different talking points. A lot of good stuff to talk about. Wish there was baseball that we could actually talk about, but uh, for the time being, this is going to have to do. Yeah, for sure. You know, Lookout Landing, Lookout Landing seems to be um, a real hotbed of writing talent. It seems like good people are always going through Lookout Landing and going on to better jobs and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what, we've had quite a few really good writers move on to. Uh, I don't want to say bigger and better things, but just <laughs> different uh, different opportunities in the baseball hemisphere. And uh, yeah, it's a really it's a really cool community. It's a, a lot of good people, and uh, I like to think we pump out some pretty good content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we kind of SB Nation. We kind of think of you guys as the conduit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys have had Meg Rowley there, at Kate, whole bunch, Kate Presser, a whole bunch of people. Didn't Jeff Sullivan come from there as well? I believe originally. Oh yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, he's the original captain of the ship. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, Lookout Landing is a good one. So are you? Does that? Uh, can I take it that you're a Mariners fan then? Yeah, uh, born and raised out here, but uh, I don't know. I find more joy in in the MLB draft and the minor leagues and just uh, player development as a whole than I do with the actual big league team, and that might be a product of 21 years of never seeing the playoffs. So, <laughs> yeah, some, <laughs> what are you gonna do? You kind of gotta, you gotta, you gotta hope and dream on the future. Yeah, somehow I started feeling that way a lot more over the last couple of years. I'm not really sure, not really sure what could have uh, induced such a change in my perspective, but uh, maybe it was the Tigers just being god awful <laughs> for five years running now. Yeah, yeah, yeah imagine that for two decades, though. Oh uh, yeah, I know. I can't complain. <laughs> so, so are you saying I was the the harbinger of doom for the team because I started really following them five years ago? started writing four years ago and they went immediately into the garbage well i don't know they were already headed into the garbage i mean i think it's actually me (laughs) because i came on like literally the first thing i wrote i think for the site was uh me screaming at brad osmus about the way he used the rotation in the 2014 postseason and about the fact that he didn't have the clout to tell verlander and uh Sanchez, they were just going in the bullpen to suck it up and all this kind of stuff so anyway yeah that was where it started for me so it hasn't been a good run for me either my friend well, it makes sense considering your profile picture in fantasy baseball is a crow, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, but that was a that's a Game of Thrones thing. It was just a swarm of crows, and my team was the sworn crows. <laughs> yeah, was, I don't know, you know, Game of Thrones eight years ago was the hotness. So yeah, and that's when that all started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all right, well, let's start off. I mean, I don't really want to get into talking necessarily about the the tentative plans for a season um, with you guys because I, I just still think it's it, you know it's just so much up in the air. So let's start instead um, with a piece that Joe wrote for Prospects Live back oh maybe about two weeks ago when the um, the revised draft rules um, kind of came down the pipeline, um, finding out that there's probably only going to be five rounds, um, getting the bonus pools. Um, Joe, can you, can you just kind of sum that up for us and, and kind of your reaction to, um, to the revised draft? And I mean, I know this sort of plays into most of our fears about what, uh, MLB kind of wanted to do to minor league baseball in general. So feel free to touch on that as well. But, um, yeah, what was your uh, reaction when you, when the uh, news came down? Yeah, you know, there are, there's so many different angles to, to this story and <clears throat> let's just start with the surface level. So the MLB draft going from 40 rounds down to five, maybe 10. I think 10 would be a much uh, more suitable alternative. Um, so first and foremost, I think the draft at 40 rounds has been too long for a very, very long time. Um, the, the rounds 25 through 40, you are largely selecting players that are, are going to be organization fillers. And the downfall of selecting, and a lot of those players don't even sign for that matter. They're kind of just Hail Mary uh, high school draftees. Um, but the problem with so many rounds and the obligatory field to having to sign those guys is the big prospects that the team ends up with. They play against lesser talent in a lot of situations. And that's kind of part of the contraction of minor league baseball. I understand I understand the need to not want to get rid of, you know, 40 to 45 different minor league clubs because they're the heart and soul of, you know, uh, Midwest America in a lot of ways, uh, small town, small town culture builders. But at the same time, that many teams can stunt the development of a prospect because they're just not playing against the talent that they should be playing against. And they're filling those organizations with players that, listen, um, you always want to give a guy a shot to, to move up through the ranks, but there are just guys that aren't 
meant to be big leaguers. And that's okay. It's okay to identify that. Um, so I think once you get out of that, you know, maybe the 15th round, you're going to be very, very, especially in a day and age where scouting is so vast and it's so comprehensive, you're going to be really hard pressed to find a player uh, outside of the top 15 rounds that uh, is going to make a difference, you know, at the big league ball club level, even let alone the triple A level in some cases. So um, that's my thoughts on the draft being shorter. I, I do think it needs to be 20 rounds, maybe 25 rounds. So um, the shortening of it doesn't bother me. Now, that being said, lowering it to five rounds is an issue because there are so many players that can make an impact in that fifth to 12th round range that are now going to be stuck with two terrible options. Yeah. Uh, one, one is go back to school unless you're a senior. Actually, if, you, if you're a senior, you can go back to school as long as the school allows it now after the D1 approved that. But your options are go back to school and enter yourself back into a 2021 draft class that's going to be unbelievably loaded. It's going to be loaded with players that didn't get drafted. Or if you don't get drafted, you sign for $20,000. And, and $20,000 is it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Um, so in a lot of cases, especially for guys in that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, all the way up to the 15th round, those guys are more or less privy to $125,000 signing bonus in most years. Now they're going to get 20,000. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty tough to swallow. Um, how it impacts each different player set high school players. It doesn't impact that much. Um, they're still going to have the opportunity to call, go to college, and if, they, uh, if they've got the talent, they're going to end up back on these boards anyways in two or three years. Now, junior signs, it's going to impact them quite a bit because they can either get drafted if they're one of the premier talents and they can sign for a big slot bonus or they can go back to school. Problem is, when you're drafted as a senior player, uh, you're a year older. It hurts your bonuses a little bit more. And... Uh, like I said, you're going up against an even bigger class. So it's just, you know, the thing is, I'm kind of being long-winded here, but the entire virus situation, the pandemic that's going on all over the globe, is it's it's impacting so many different aspects of baseball that are trickling down that um, the MLB draft is is unfortunately a victim of the circumstances right now. So it just, it hurts everybody. Yeah, and it's one of those, it's it's the point at which one side has no leverage. Like, you know, major league players have leverage, owners have leverage, the teams have leverage, but the amateur players don't. And so it just kind of feels like, to some degree, yeah, I mean, the short end of the stick is getting passed down. I mean, I would tend to agree that beyond, yeah, the 12th, maybe the 15th round, maybe you find a reliever or something down there. Um, for the most part, those guys don't, don't matter so much. Um, but yeah, it's that amount, you know, and and not really knowing what's going to happen to you going forward. It's it's the fact that this is going to push all kinds of changes and decisions down the road as well. Um, even if you're, you know, if you're a senior and you're, you decide I'm going to go back to college, maybe that, you know, maybe that kid that you saw, you know, who was a junior this year who was breaking out is there next year, and suddenly, you know, it's not as easy for you to get playing time as you thought. Like, there's just so many, there's so many factors that are now put on the decision making of yeah, young guys who. 
you know, want more than anything just to get a shot one way or the other. And yeah, it's just, it, I mean, it's unfortunate. Not, the whole thing is obviously unfortunate and baseball's not the bigger part of that. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of a drag for sure. Jay, uh, how are you feeling about it at this point? Uh, well, as I'm sure you remember, I was just screaming mad when they announced these changes and I wrote a lot of angry tweets and I wrote <laughs> an article for Motor City Bengals that was just scalding. Um, I've kind of, I'm not less upset about it. I just, I'm able to coherently talk about it without, you know, yeah. losing my temper. Um, no, because let they're it rip, just, let it rip, buddy. This is what I've been waiting for for years is the J, the J. Markle temper. <laughs> well, they, they just screwed everyone over. They, they couldn't, handle letting a good crisis go to waste they're screwing over the ball players and the fans and the teams which are basically local businesses because they're not being financially supported really by the major league club except for the signing bonuses of the players who go there and then i think another impact we're not looking at is that um all these players are going to be a year older and in a at next year in that loaded class you're looking at juniors who are second year juniors who are as old as seniors which puts them a year behind the curve in a youth-obsessed environment. Yeah. And then they're, they're going to be given uh, less preferential treatment. And, I mean, you look at the example of, like, um, like Kyle Funkhauser. That's a p- fantastic example of why prospects are in such between such a rock and a hard place. You can say, oh, well, if they're good enough to be drafted this year, well, they'll just go back to college and be drafted next year. Well, Kyle Funkhauser was a first-rounder, and then he dropped down to the fifth round. Yeah, well, that was kind of a knucklehead, okay. knucklehead move, of course, but yeah. It, but I, that's my point is that just because someone's good enough to be drafted in the first round this year doesn't mean they're going to be next year. And that's yeah. kind of an extreme example, yeah. but that happens a lot. Stock goes up and down. And so for these guys who might be like a pop-up guy this year who teams were considering taking the sixth, seventh round and handing six figures to might end up getting nothing next year. Yeah. Uh, and one other thing I'd like to add to that, Brandon, is, and Jay, uh, um, you, c- senior, senior college baseball players are not, this is going to be unprecedented because senior college baseball players are not on draft boards, plain and simple. Uh, Funkhauser is an interesting example. I don't, I think he was drafted as a sophomore and decided to come back as a junior. I don't, did he come back as a senior? I actually think you're right. I, th- I think he came back as a junior. Yeah. But still, yeah. So that shows, I mean, um, he had a worse year, but he did come back a year later. He's a year older, and he was picked later. Now, that being said, like this year, I don't have a senior in my top 125. They just don't – I mean, think about it. There's 40 rounds in the draft, and if you are a talented junior or sophomore or high schooler that flashes plus anything, you're going to be selected – when there's 40 rounds and you have leverage as a junior and you have leverage as a sophomore, especially as a high schooler, of course, you're going to ask for the money that you want. And you're almost always, if you're any sort of asset, going to be signed. And that's why um, this year you're not seeing I can almost I can almost guarantee you will not see a senior get drafted. And the only way that's going to happen is if you get someone like the Houston Astros or you get someone like the New York Yankees or the Atlanta Braves who are lacking in picks, lacking in bonus pools. If they go out and they go, we're going to go make a big splash and sign some, uh, you know, Dylan Cruz, uh, a prep outfielder at like 45 or, or like 50. And they got to pay him a million and a half bucks to get him in the organization. 
and then they blow their entire pool on that and they can only afford you know fifty thousand dollars for seniors that's the only way it's going to happen otherwise you're not going to see a senior drafted this year um 2021 is going to be a lot different because there's going to be juniors that don't have leverage this year and have to go back to school in order to get their name on the books. Um, so that'll be a little bit different. But Jay is exactly right. Once you go back to school and you get a year older, your prospect sheen gets a lot duller very, very quickly. Yeah. And even those guys and who I do mean, decide, a- even those guys who do decide to go back, you know, yeah, like you say, even if they have a good year next year, they look they look good. They have no leverage still. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to be in a position where. You know, they're not going to go 20th or 30th or something or get left till the end. But, yeah, some team is just going to, you know, roll in with 200,000 somewhere in the, the mid rounds or something and pick them up. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if a senior this year has eligibility next year, he could theoretically go back to college. But what's a senior going to do if he's picked by like the Astros in the fifth round and he has plus speed and no other tools and they throw him $50,000 and say no? I'm going to go back to school and have no leverage and no possibility of getting that much money as a non-drafted free agent. He's not going to do that. Yeah. And then the Houston Astros are circumventing their punishment because they're going to go sign a crap ton of those guys who have no leverage anyway, fill out the bottom level of their rosters and get a first round talent in the second or the third or whatever, because they can afford to pay him because this draft system is giving them the ability to free up a bunch of money from those, um, well, I don't know, but well, don't, they've also lost a lot of their pool, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be able to circumvent their, their punishment. If you ask me, this this five-round draft is, is punishing the Astros more than any other team. When you only have $2 bucks to spend and you have four draft picks, first of all, $2 bucks isn't even going to get you uh, a first-round talent if they fall to... I don't even know where their first pick is. I think it's like late 30s or early 40s. Um, even if someone falls, let's say uh, Nick uh, Nick Bitsko falls from uh, the first round, he's unsignable. Two million bucks isn't going to get you Nick Bitsko. Um, so that being said, uh, the Astros still aren't going to be able to get premier talent. They're not going to be able to take a premier name in 2020, and only being able to sign all of these different players for 20 grand. I mean, uh, any any prospect. Uh, I don't mean to sound condescending, but any prospect with a brain that has any sort of sensibility to get, that has the ability to get drafted in 2021 is going to return to school. One other thing that I wanted to kind of throw into this conversation that I think you might see a lot more of is in 2020, these guys that don't get drafted, especially the seniors, they're, I'd be stunned if anybody decides to return to school, but anybody that doesn't get drafted, maybe uh, maybe a junior sign that, that doesn't want to go back to school, watch out for a lot of them going overseas. Like Carter Stewart did two years ago, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, five five six year deal, eight million bucks, got his cash, and he'll come back when he's twenty five, like Miles Mikolas did. That I think is going to be pretty prevalent this year because it's an option to make money, and it's going to be uh, covering these players over their controllable years in uh, big league organizations anyway. So um, that'll be something to watch for as well. Yeah, and for guys who are comfortable doing that, I mean, it's kind of an interesting development environment, too. Like, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like, more often than not, the top talents, you know, end up in the Midwest League or, you know, whatever A-ball level. And, you know, there's only a handful of guys around, you know, that are really on their level if if they're actually, you know, major league potential player. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that would be good for some of them. I mean, I think there's also, you know, there's there's some 
problem there just in general in that a lot of people aren't going to be comfortable moving overseas. But I think you'd have to be right that, yeah, there, there should be should be more of them than normal. It definitely seems to be, you know, a, an option that more guys are considering and more guys are coming back, you know, saying like, hey, you know, I had a great time over there. It was a great experience for me and my family and do it up, you know. So, yeah, that's a, I think that's a pretty good point on it for sure. Yeah. Money talks. I mean, you offer someone six million bucks when they have the counter offer of 20 grand in the States you know, it's a few years of your life. Uh, I, it's hard for a lot of guys to turn down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there's the draft portion of it, but I mean, e- even more, and what I haven't even wrapped my head around is, you know, what kind of a minor league season could we ever even possibly get this year and how, you know, the effects on development for, um, for guys, the, you know, the development of starters, you know, workloads, all that stuff is just, just going to be so fucked. <laughs> like this whole thing is, is really hard to, hard to, uh, start to unpacking yet there's just so many so much fallout that could come from it you know i heard a really interesting i read a really interesting article today about that about minor league development um and how it's going to be impacted this year it's interesting because it sounds like a lot of the players that were previously selected in the first round they got that big bonus they're able to afford a you know a facility at home of some sort where they can continue to develop um the two mm-hmm. the two examples that I read about was Logan Gilbert, who was the Mariners' 2018 first-round pick. He has a full mound, a full uh, a full baseball setup, pitching scenario, circumstance setup at home, so he can continue to throw his pitches and simulate what uh, what a game would be like. And Jared Kelnick, of course, um, he comes from um, a situation in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where his dad builds out entire gyms and baseball facilities, and he can continue to work out, but. Yeah, I, I have serious doubts as to whether we're going to even have a minor league baseball season. I, If you were to ask me today, it, I would sure lean towards there's not going to be any sort of minor league season in 2020. Yeah, I just I can't see any way they can do it. Like the, the logistics from the major league side seem, you know, really, really daunting. And that's with all the money you could possibly need to solve a problem available. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be tough. I think of, yeah, you know, I assume Casey Mize has himself a rap soda in a mound. You know, uh, Riley Green can uh, head over to his dad's cages. But, um, yeah, everybody else is going to be going to be out there fending for themselves one, to one degree or another. Any thoughts on just brief thoughts on that, Jay? It's a whole monster topic we could open up. But um, do you have any, any chief concerns with that? Um, well, I wonder if... Um, could... Nothing I can articulate really well at this moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the amount of uh, ramifications from this are, are just so vast. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really wrap my head around it either. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, so, all right, let's just, let's just, uh, let's turn to the draft a little bit here. Um, I don't want to spend, you know, a ton of time talking about the, the Tigers first round pick just because it, it's kind of come down to the more obvious part, but, um, but we could start there and could you guys, you know, maybe Joe start, start us off. Like what's your general impression of this class? I mean, obviously, you know, it, it seems to be really deep in pitching. Um, there seems to be a decent amount of prep talent. What do you, uh, what do you kind of make of, of the group assuming that, you know, five rounds is all we're going to get? 
Yeah, so this is definitely, it's the deepest draft that I've personally seen since 2000 and I think it's as deep as 2011, personally. A lot of people are, are labeling 2015. I think it's as deep as 2011. The pitching, the pitching talent in this class is insane. I've done quite a few mock drafts with uh, a different set of publications, and we almost always find ourselves at that 40 to 45 range going, this, this is unbelievable. The amount of talent still on this board, the big league talent, the big league you know, mid-first-round talent that you can get at 35 to 40 um, is pretty astounding. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say there's, you know, there's probably there's probably 12 to 15 college arms that have uh, a floor of a, of a number four big league, uh, big league starting pitcher. I mean, it's, it's really deep. There's probably three or four that, uh, uh, yeah, probably three or four that are frontline starters. Um, and, of course, there's always guys that break out of that. Uh, there's guys that get bigger and stronger in organizations, so it could end up being a lot bigger than that. As far as what Detroit's going to do, um, it's such a luxury. I mean, Austin Martin. <laughs> Austin Martin is one of the more versatile players I've seen in, in quite a while. He's got a long track record, and um, he'd be an excellent choice. I, I, I think Spencer Torkelson, while he is a prodigious college hitter, personally, my philosophy in, in the draft is always to take tools because if you mess up one tool or an injury gets in the way of one tool, there's others that can mask that. So I would personally go with Austin Martin, and um, if you get the opportunity, I'd, I'd go Asa Lacey. Um, either Martin or Lacey, that'd be my choice. I do really love me some uh, some Asa Lacy. Yeah, um, I kind of I've been agreeing with that all along. I, I don't know what the Tigers are going to do, but but for me, you know, you just look at what the ceiling is for first baseman. I mean, that, that's just kind of what it comes down to. Um, you know, if he hits like Nelson Cruz, well, it probably wouldn't matter. But but he's kind of got to. Otherwise, you're looking at you know probably a three, maybe four WAR player for for most of that time, which is plenty good. And if you got that for first rounder, you'd be happy. But uh, but for the Tigers, it does feel like they've got to play for, for someone who's got a little bit more upside than that. And I just always look at first base and think like, ah, hey, you know, the Tigers could have just signed C.J. Crone for three or four years, and I'd be pretty content at first base. So that's always kind of the mm-hmm. issue there. Jay, what do you mm-hmm. think? And you look. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, go for it, Joe. Well, I, I was just going to add. You look at how many first basemen are actually drafted in the top ten and turn into superstars. It just doesn't happen. You know, Freddie Freeman was drafted in the second round. Pete Alonso was drafted at the back of the first round. Um, you can get massive, massive sluggers that can provide you just about everything that Torkelson can, minus the athleticism, um, without spending, you know, seven or eight million dollars of your pool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any do you have any feeling that maybe Torkelson could play third base or is that, you know, just something people are tossing around like, eh, maybe. Yeah, he's he doesn't have the lateral ability for that. I I, think so. I don't know. I I've watched quite a bit of Spencer Torkelson this year, and he uh, he's got good hands, and you know he's got good feet, but he doesn't have the lateral ability for me to do that. I think he's probably going to end up at first base, and if you want to kind of throw him out to right field and and see whether or not that would work, he does have a strong arm, um, but no, I don't think he has the uh, reaction time or the lateral agility to to play third. Yeah, we were also talking about the organization that played Nick Castellanos there for four years. Yeah, yep. The Tigers will play you, play you out there if they want to. Sure, and that's not <laughs> that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, they, but they don't. <laughs> but they but they don't want to just put Isaac Paredes out at shortstop and just tell him, hey, you know, try to Johnny Peralta it up out there either. So, yeah, they, they've wised up a little bit. Yeah. Oh Lord, I can't imagine a left side of the infield that was Torkelson Paredes. That would just be a nightmare. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want any ground ball pitchers anyway, Jay. <laughs> yeah. You know me. I'm 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 four seam curveball all the way, buddy. But no, yeah, I'm, I'm playing. Yeah, I mean, how are you feeling yourself? Do you think the Tigers are gonna gonna uh, take Torkelson? It felt like right before everything shut down, there seemed to be a little bit of a consensus coming in on Martin, but it's just hard to tell, you know, in mid mid March, you know, whether or not people are getting accurate reads or not. It really felt like um, when, when we started getting, you know, lots of information on all these prospects, Austin Martin kind of, to me, felt like the guy that the Tigers would kind of lean towards just based on uh, what they seem to like in general from their players. Um, but everyone I've talked to who has any kind of credible idea of what's going on, uh, and I'm, I, I'm not one of those people, but I know people like that, and they all say Torkelson is the guy that the Tigers like. And that Al likes, and they've seen him a lot of times, and like what they saw. So, um, yeah, everybody likes I mean, him. The Lord only knows. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah everybody so, likes him. That's it's that that part of it's easy, I guess. In kind of a in kind of a perverse way, um, as I, I like Austin Martin better as a ball player in neutral circumstances, but I don't want him being taught by the Tigers. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's always because the question, right? He's the kind of player that they're going to, you know, play Pepper, put the ball in play, and he, they're just going to turn him into a utility man. Um, I, well, I don't know if that's true. It's just my gut reaction from living through them destroying a lot of players. Yeah, versatility in Detroit has become a crutch. Yeah, that is a uh, yeah. Usually, everywhere else, that's that's such a such a coup, such a bonus. But um, it doesn't seem like anybody on the Tigers right now has a firm idea of what they're you know, what their position is. I think uh, for Martin, you stick him at third base and you, you see if he fails, honestly, because he's got the speed and he's got the range to play shortstop and, or, to play, uh, or to play center field. But I think his bat best plays um, where he can stay healthy. And in my opinion, that's third base. Um, so I think there's a lot of different uh, ideas of what his future holds, but for me, the hot corner is uh, that's where I would start him at least. Yeah, I mean it's it's so hard to, to think about a draft in terms of like what this organization does, and so they shouldn't they shouldn't do this. I mean, like obviously, what the Tigers should do is get a lot better at evaluating hitting and teaching hitting, <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hiring Kenny Graham is is the start of something along those lines. I mean, they haven't screwed up Riley Green, and I might I might contend Jay that they never really had all that much that they could have screwed up. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I get, you can look at it either way. I'm not sure I've seen too many hitters that came through that, uh, you know, there, there's, I'm sure there must be some guys who probably could have used a swing change. It would have been better. But um, I just think, you know, the Tigers just have for a long time been pretty bad at, um, at identifying, you know, contact ability and, and, and teaching, you know, the ability to hit for power and even emphasizing it. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about uh, Parker Meadows and, you know, the Tigers are already well on their way to turning him into Victor Reyes. You know, that seems to be their their model. <laughs> so, yeah. Just just let me be upset, dang it. No, no, feel free to I, be upset. Because <laughs> I, I, uh, your podcast you did um, a couple weeks ago with uh, Jules Posner. Yeah. His explanation of the um, Jake Rogers situation was a fantastic breakdown of why I should not be a Tigers fan uh, because that whole situation is a nightmare and I don't want them doing that with Austin Martin. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think what they should do with Austin Martin is just send him to Doug Lada then and let uh, Joe Vavra, you know, keep in touch on the video chat. <laughs> just call it good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'd be the way to go. I don't know. 
Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's take a look. To me, like, I mean, we can get in when we get into like third, fourth, and fifth round. It's going to be kind of a free for all because it's always hard to tell. I'm looking at multiple different lists projected to go like in the, you know, in the first round that I'm like, I don't think they're there anymore, and I don't know. It's a big mess. So, um, let's talk second round first. And um, I mean, who do you, who do you think the Tigers can get, and who do you like? I mean, I know Jay you've written about Gage Workman. Um, is that who you're kind of projecting there still? Uh, well, I don't think he's the pick there because um, I, I think they're going to take an arm. Mm-hmm. And a, uh, that it's just what makes sense for the organization and the class. Like a Tanner uh, Witt? If I, I had to, <laughs> well, yeah, um, maybe a different year. But this year I'm thinking Cole Henry because mm-hmm. it just makes way too much sense there. They drafted him already. He's from LSU. He has the stuff they like. Uh, and he he's like his draft stock is perfectly fit with that 38 spot. Uh, he, he just for me right now, it makes too much sense there not to project him to the Tigers. Okay. I can, I can see that. Um, how about yourself there, Joe? Any, any, uh, bead on anyone you think the Tigers are going to zoom in on there? Yeah, I think, uh, I think if they go chalk and go with Austin Martin or they go with Spencer Torkelson, they'll, I would be surprised if they didn't go with an arm. I, Am really, I, I do really like Gage Workman. I think he's going to be a steal for whoever ends up with him, and that's saying a lot considering he's probably going to go uh, after the 30th pick. Um, as far as who I think they could go after, um, I think Cade Cavalli from Oklahoma is going to be um, a big athletic, you know, mm. typical um, starting pitcher type of type of deal at the big league level. I think uh, Slate Ciccone from from Miami might be a good option. I do think, though, uh, one thing that Detroit fans should look out for in this draft is if they go with, you know, Austin Martin or Spencer Torkelson and they don't go with Zach Bean with the first pick, I don't envision that happening. Um, they're going to, I mean, they have seven picks. I think they're going to have a ton of money to spend. So don't be surprised if someone like Mick Abel or Jared Kelly or Nick Bitsko, one of those arms falls all the way to their second pick. And they've got the money to spend, and they can really go after that high-profile, high-octane prep arm. Dax Fulton uh, would be another one that I could see them uh, splurging on a little bit with their second pick. So, I don't. I guess the the moral of the story is don't don't be surprised if they overspend with their second pick and go prep. Yeah, yeah, that seems uh, that seems re- like a pretty reasonable reasonable way to look at it. I mean, is there any chance do you think that that Martin's going to take less than slot, like maybe a little bit? So that you could put your, put together like a three million dollar package for you know the best prep arm you could get your hands on something along those lines. I in a in a draft year that's only five rounds with limited draft pools. I don't think there's any way that these top guys are going to take less than less than their slot. Um, yeah. There's only so much money to go around, and you know it's not like um, it's not like the team is looking for fifty thousand here, eighty thousand there, a hundred thousand there. Like that's mm-hmm. not going to be the case uh, to to sign some of these you know, 25th to 40th rounders. It's not going to be, hey, I need a little bit of good graces here. Will you take a $100,000 pay cut just so we can get our, you know, 26th rounder? This is going to be, hey, we have five picks. This is what you're slotted for. All right, well, that's what you need to pay me. And unfortunately, Detroit, you don't have the leverage in this one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Henry makes makes pretty good sense to me. I mean, you know, you, you could argue that he's a little bit, he's a little younger. You could argue there's a little bit more there. I don't know. He, he's had some injury issues, though, if I'm not mistaken, right? Didn't he have 
like some shoulder trouble last summer, I believe. I can't remember exactly. But then again, you know, he's a pitcher, so that's going to happen, I suppose, yeah. to some degree. And, and Henry's only a sophomore as, as well, so um, he might be a he might be a day one guy, but he's going to have a lot of leverage. So, you know, Cole Henry is the type of guy. He's built really well. He's definitely the type of guy that could, you know, ask for overslot if he really wanted because he's barely going to be 21 at the time of the draft. Yeah. Is there any chance, uh, what's his name, Heston Kirstad falls to us? Is that possible to get our hands on at 38 maybe? Probably not. Not. There's no way he gets passed. In my opinion, I, I, hey, listen, I could be totally wrong. Oh, for sure. I could be totally wrong. I, I don't think there's any way he gets past 14 with the Texas Rangers. I don't, I don't think there's any way he gets past that point. Okay. Right on. Um, yeah, any, any fallback options here at, at 38? Anybody else you can kind of think of that uh, I'm still looking, like, in my head, I'm still looking for, for position players. And I know that in this draft, that might not be the way it goes. So, well, Nick Lofton would be cool at 38. Yeah. I like Nick Lofton. I, I don't know if, you'd, if they'd necessarily love him at 38, but I do like him. Um, seemed like he found a little more power last year. I, he kind of, I was kind of, kind of reminds me of like, um, Nick Madrigal without the leg kick, like it, like in his hitting, like he's just very, very neutral, very compact, very line drive oriented. The Tigers love all those things. Um, you know, he's quick, might be able to play shortstop. I don't know for sure. I think, uh, I think you'd be a little surprised by what Nick Lofton turned himself into. Nick, Nick Madrigal probably isn't, uh, Probably isn't the comp form anymore, though I'll give you that that was that was a decent uh, representation of him after 2018. Uh, Nick Nick Lofton hit a ball at Minute Maid Park that left the bat at 113 miles an hour and went 465 feet this year. Oh damn! Uh, really? Yeah. So hmm. and he had an he had an absolutely monster year. I I don't remember how many home runs he hit, but I want to say it was something. He hit like six or eight home runs or something like that in the really really short sample size at Baylor this year. Um, he has been skyrocketing up up uh, charts and uh, I'll go one further. I don't even know if Nick Lofton is going to be available for the Tigers with their second pick. I, I think he might sneak into the back of the first round or, or right there early in the first set of compensatory picks. Okay. Well, in that case, I, uh, that that's who I want. Cause I liked him. I just worried about the power. So yeah, but yeah, both of you feel free to school me because yeah, it's basically been, um, you know, like three days of me watching shit tons of video and writing notes to myself. So that that's my, uh, my draft process at this point. I'm still a long way away. <laughs> Anyone, the one that you know. seems to make sense to me um, from like I, not who I want, but, but looking through the eyes of the Tigers based on what they've done the last two years, uh, might be Justin Foscue. Um, hmm. I I've never seen him live, so I can't speak with too much authority. But in videos I've watched, I don't love the swing, um, but he did perform well, which is something the Tigers like, um, and he seems to have that. Uh, um, Andre Lipschitz-ish, well-rounded breakout guy format that the Tigers have been overdrafting him and like Cody Clemens, that sort of idea, where he'll make contact and he'll put some juice into one once in a while and he'll be fine enough in the field. Um, I don't necessarily want Justin Foscue, but I wouldn't be upset and he seems to make sense with the Tigers have been targeting the last couple of years. You know who I wanted to ask you both about, and and he's probably not going to go in the second round, but uh, what do you guys know about Anthony Servieto? Because I like him, and I would just want him to dye his hair back, and otherwise I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I can answer that. Uh, I I like Servideo, but I'm not sure whether or not he's going to be able to, uh, whether or not he's going to be able to stay uh, up the middle, personally. Uh, he's got, 
So first of all, he's he's a slight build, but he doesn't move all that well for his size. And the the problem that I have with Servadeo is, especially in the second round. Listen, if Servadeo is drafted in the second round, I would be I would be stunned. But I, the the issue I have is there's five or six college shortstops ahead of him that have a much more polished bat. Uh, they have way more power potential. Potential Servadeo doesn't get uh, the best. Um, exit velocity uh, off balls batted in, in play. Um, so if you're looking for a guy that is a, probably a little bit more of a slap hitter at this point uh, and maybe a, a second base floor, I think he's a, he's a good option. He's got a, a good approach at the plate. I mean, he takes a lot of walks and he doesn't strike out very much, but uh, at this point I'd say gap to gap power is kind of uh, kind of his MO. So if, if you're looking at, if you're looking at college shortstops, I think, you have to start with Nick Lofton and um, Gage Workman and Justin uh, Jordan Westberg. Those three are going to be the college shortstops with the most pop in the bat that are going to stick at the position. Uh, with Workman maybe ending up at third base, if you are uh, allured by the defense first college shortstop, I think Alika Williams is going to be the guy that you're going to want to pay a lot of attention to because he is as good a bet in this entire draft to stick at the position um he has incredible reaction times he moves to his left and to his right really really well he's got an above average uh, arm he'll have no problem sticking there and uh, while he'll probably not hit for much power either um he's got a better he's got a better more advanced bat at this point right now so are you thinking i mean I asked, are, are most of those guys more like the like the second comp round third roundish or late second round guys would you say for the most part those guys will be going um lofton westberg illegal yeah. they're all going to go in the 25 to 45 range oh, okay. um if if you're really if you're really into servadeo i think he could be available in uh third round um he's he's not even in my top 100 he's like one Oh, I think he's like, I'd have to pull it up. I think he's like 138 or 140 or something like that. So um, he'll probably get drafted, but at, at this point, he doesn't have a bat that screams impact. Okay, right on. Um, I asked uh, yeah. Carlos Colazzo of Baseball America did a um, a draft chat today, and I asked him about Cervadeo, and he said, uh, I'll just read you the response. Uh, he said, I think Lofton's power is more likely to translate than Cervadeo just because of some size questions I have with Cervadeo. That said, he did add strength from his sophomore year to junior year, but I don't expect either to be big home run hitters. So um, even though the, the power ticked up this year, uh, at least Carlos Colazzo doesn't necessarily think that Cervadeo is a homer hitter uh, as a pro. Okay, I can buy that. Um one of the things we, you know, we started out talking about was was who has an advantage here, and it feels like, I mean, the, the teams that that have comp picks, what one way or the other, are the teams that are kind of sitting in the catbird seat here. So when we get to the the second, you know, the second compensatory round, um, any, any thoughts there on on who the Tigers should target, or at least like maybe what type of player you would like to see them target? Either one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I can start if you want. Um, so let's say. The Tigers start with Austin Martin, and um, they really double down, and they go after uh, a Nick Lofton or a Jordan Westberg or, or one of those. Let's just say that hypothetically, if they if they do want to, they have to grab. In my opinion, they have to grab an arm at this point because the the class is just too deep. Um, that deep, you're you're probably looking at someone like Bryce Jarvis from Baylor, uh, or excuse me, Bryce Jarvis from Duke. Um, 
he's probably got the best. Uh, he's probably got the best changeup, maybe the best changeup in the class for for a college player. Um, if they want to go prep, and like I said, they definitely have they have the money to go out and, and reach on a on a prep arm. Ben Hernandez is going to be another one. Uh, good low to mid nineties fastball, probably the best prep changeup in the class. Um, so he, he's going to be a really appealing uh, a really appealing option. But the one guy that nobody's talking about right now that uh, is going to be absolutely going to be a steal, I have no doubt about it, is Kevin Abel from Oregon State. He missed the entire season or or what it was. Uh, with a uh, with an injury this year, but he was the ace. He was the go-to guy at Oregon State in 2018. Uh, ended up, you know, taking him to the College World Series and and being a hero there. So he's got uh, mid 90s fastball with great arm side run. Uh, he's also got a really strong changeup. Um, so any one of those guys, I think, would be an excellent addition uh, for for Detroit. Um, yeah, I think I'll just leave it at that. I think those are three names to, to keep an eye on. Right now. Yeah, we know the Tigers uh, The Tigers have had good luck scouting the uh, the Northwest. That's like their one big find over the past few years. <laughs> Mr. Scooble. Yeah, fire away, Jay. You got anybody for me? Um, I Well, if I were running the draft, I'd be going uh, bats one and two and then taking an arm with a third. Um, and the guys I'd be looking at there would, uh, like Ian Seymour has kind of caught my interest. Um, he's... Uh, a lefty t- tops 94, but the secondary stuff um, is pretty good. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a profile that the Tigers did well and decently fine with in the past. Um, and he's got, you know, starter traits, even though it's not a wonderful delivery. Uh, the, the guy I'm hoping, and I don't think it will, cause uh, no one I talked to says that it'll happen, but the guy I'm hoping might fall there is um, Schuster. Oh yeah, Jared yeah. Schuster, who I I really like Jared Schuster um, because this the fastball took a huge jump this year, um, and he's got a, a really good secondary stuff and the most ridiculous amount of de- uh, deception I've ever seen as far as hiding the ball goes, because he's hiding the ball all the way until he releases it, so the fastball gets up to ninety seven and it explodes on um, right handed hitters because he hides it for so long. Um, Honestly, I'd be fine with taking him at 38. Uh, and I don't think he's there at um, the next pick, but that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Yeah, I liked him. I don't know, I don't know if I thought, thought second round quite for him, but, yeah, but I would be pretty happy yeah, to get him with the third or the, or the actual third round pick for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the stuff looked really good. I didn't necessarily love his lower half and stuff, but... Yeah, you know, he does hide the ball. The Tigers like that kind of a lefty in general. Um, they seem to know what to do with them more so than they do with, with most other types of pitchers. Um, he can definitely spin it. I think that that would probably be a decent choice. Um, I, I guess we're at the point where we have to kind of start talking about what the Tigers, you know, what the Tigers have and, and sort of where you see their farm system at and, the, and how they're rebuilding, you know, is progressing at this point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Joe, what are your impressions from afar since you're you're a little bit more dispassionate probably than either Jay or I are at this point? Uh, so I will say the Tigers have one hell of a one-two punch in, uh, in Mize and Manning. I think Casey Mize is going to be an absolute star. Um, the that that split finger i've never seen anything like it and it it feels to me almost like it's taken a step forward uh mm-hmm. since college it was unhittable then but it seems to have a little bit more depth now um 
So I think as far as arms go, I think Mize and Manning and Scooble to a lesser degree, because I think Scooble ends up in the bullpen. Uh, eventually, I think he ends up in the bullpen personally. And I know that Detroit fans might not want to hear that. <laughs> um, but that's just that's kind of what I see with his current arsenal. And, um, you know, he hasn't really he hasn't really been stretched out yet. So we'll see what happens there. I think Alex Fiedo, um has been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, I, I expected a little bit more from him coming out of Florida. Um, and of course, you know, Franklin Perez, um, such that's just been such a, that's been such a bummer watching that entire thing trans transpire. So I understand completely what Jay is saying with, uh, you know, going out and ensuring that you take a position player because they're a little bit, they're a little bit light on the position player side, uh, in the farm system. Riley green is going to be a fantastic pro that I think he's going to do a, a lot of damage at the big league level. I, I don't, not a lot of people thought Riley Green was going to be what he has already turned into in the short sample size that he's been there. Um, but that, but then, yeah, I mean, you look down the list, you got Isaac Paredes and you got Jake Rogers and you got Parker Meadows and um, all of these different, uh, all of these different position players that just, they're just not uh, quite reaching the heights that um, I think a lot of people in the industry expected. So yeah, a, a high impact a high impact position player or two uh, would definitely behoove the uh, the Detroit farm system right now. That's for sure. They're already they're already very deep in arms and like Joey Wentz. I think Joey Wentz is going to be another um, serviceable back of the rotation guy. So uh, they've got plenty of arms. Yeah, I like Wentz more more than I expected to when we when we first lo- started looking into him. And I think that was kind of still based on just impressions from when he was drafted. And, and not having paid that much attention to him. But yeah, I came around to liking him as well. I do think he's going to be a back-end starter as well. Scooble, you know, I don't know. You know, we'll just have to see. I mean, I, I think the breaking stuff has to come along a little bit. And I definitely think that there's, you know, obviously there's some durability that has to be proved out there as well. So um, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, maybe he's Josh Hader. Maybe he, you know, pulls the whole thing together and becomes a starter. Um, it, all we really know is that it's one hell of a fastball. Um, yeah. Which you know sometimes is enough. Um, yeah, I, you know overall, it's just tr- tricky because you think to yourself like, should the Tigers just go ahead and, and lean into it? Like, if developing pitchers is the area where they're actually better, and I think that's pretty clear that it is. Um, I'm a big fan of the way they brought Matt Manning along. Um, I think people look at Matt Manning now and don't really don't really remember quite how raw Matt Manning was. Um, when, when he got to uh, Connecticut in 2017, uh, it, it's been a, a long way, and I still think he's got a good bit of development left ahead of him, and I think he's going to hit it because I'm a Matt Manning slap, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, you have to kind of keep those things <laughs> – you have to kind of keep those things in mind, I suppose, a little bit, especially as you get further down. Like, what guy do you think, you know, fits your system and you can develop? Um, and that's something the Tigers don't seem to have done really at all on the, um, you know, on the hitting side, the position player side. I mean, you look at, like, you know, the guys who are 45s and 40s, you know, roughly, just to use those terms in the Tiger system. And, you know, it's, you'd like to think that one of those guys is going to um, gonna put it together somehow. And But when I look at, you know, Cody Clemens, Bryant Packard, Parker Meadows, you know, if you like Quintana, you like, um, yeah, you like Lipschitz, some of those other guys, I'm, eh. I don't know. I, I don't know if I see it. I, I feel like sometimes I'm more optimistic than I mean to be just because I'm a fan and um, I'm praying for something to come around there. But um, there isn't a whole lot in watching those guys that, that gives me any faith that it's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, 
you know, the guys who just got drafted, I'm not going to say too much about. We'll have to see what um, Quintana and, and Lipschitz do this year, I suppose, but um, and Packard as well. But yeah, Jay, I mean, I, I kind of know <laughs> roughly like how you feel about where the Tigers are at, but uh, yeah, kind of kind of give us your feelings a little bit at this point. I've really been thinking about it a lot lately because um, when, when you look at these players, how many starters can you realistically see? The pitching staff, not worried about it one bit. That'll be just fine. It'll all work out just fine. I realize pitchers don't work out at the rate that Tigers fans maybe are assuming that these guys are going to work out. Sure. Yeah. But there's the, the the group is deep enough, talented enough, that they're going to have some of the guys pan out. They're going to have someone pop up. They're going to sign a free agent or make a trade. It'll be okay there on the pitching side. But even like even the outfield, where we have a ton of outfield prospects in theory, how many guys there are really starters? Riley Green, that's really the only one I can feel confident saying will be a starter. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got I, Parker Meadows. Yeah. And I, and you can't really make a big judgment on him there because, um, I mean, he's sushi raw, and we knew that when he was going into the Midwest League. But he, there's obviously a ton of power in that swing. I wasn't paying attention one time in batting practice, and he hit a ball, and it scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> um, and he, he has a lot of power there, but it just doesn't shine through. But then again, you know, he, he has a lot of time left. So I'm not going to make a judgment call there. But when you look at all the other guys, Derek Hill, no, yeah. not really. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Bryant Packard, if they keep him in the outfield, he might be what Christian Stewart was last year. Yeah, right. And you look at, I mean, it, I mean Parker Meadows is really the only guy I look at, and I think that there's, there's the upside of a really good player there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's some guys who might have Even, everything work out, and they're... You know, they're an average regular, but but probably not. You've got a whole host of guys like Hill and Cameron um, who are, you know, re- you know, backup outfielders, you know, defensive replacement Cameron center fielders. Cameron is fine, maybe. and Hill is fine. I just don't yeah. see them ever starting long term. And when you move into the infield, too, where's your where's your shortstop? Where's your second baseman? Sure. Cody Clemens, Wenzel Perez, Andre Lipschitz, they're, again, they're all fine. Of course, I have different feelings about all of them. Uh, I'm, I'm the Wenzel parade rainer. Um, and I, I, I happen to like Andre Lipschitz better than most people do. I think he'd probably be a decent utility guy, but none of those guys are going to pan out into starters either more than likely. Yeah. And um, even if, even if Quintana clicks on everything, you've got Paredes is probably going to be a starter. Um, and then you might end up again with like a Dawel Lugo, Jamer Candelario situation where they both stink and, <laughs> Yeah, because neither of them are slam dunks. Paredes is nice, and I like him a lot. But how did we feel about Condelario when he came over? Sure, pretty much, pretty much. Isaac Paredes' development path has led him to an eerily similar point as Condelario when we acquired him. Yeah, I mean they're a little bit they're different hitters, but yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. Yep. And it, it's not, you can't compare people one-to-one. And I, I shy away from comparisons because they're sloppy and inaccurate. But sometimes things just don't work out the way you think they're going to. And that kind of is a perfect example of that. So while you might, you know, we can be more confident than with most players in the system that Paredes is going to start. But, you you know, you can't bank on anything. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and the and thing even I... after you add Torkelson, there you've got a starting first mm. baseman almost guaranteed. But that's one position, and you've got all these other positions you still got to fill. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that Tiger fans... Yeah, the thing that Tiger fans, you know, and hopefully we're all, you know, continuously reminding about this, is that if you're... You can't just talk about rebuilding the farm system. I mean, it's a whole thing. And when you look at the major league roster, you know, this front office has been in charge for five years and we don't have a single, you know, position player. We don't have a single major league regular that you can you can lock down and be like, yeah, that guy's giving me two or more, you know, he's going to, he's going to give me average numbers everywhere. Um, there isn't a single guy like that. And, you know, I like Nico, you know, I think there's a chance still for a couple guys to, to be an, at least an average player, but, but yeah, it's just so barren there. Um, you know, you've got a couple pitchers at the major league roster and that's it. And trying to disgorge an entire major league roster from, from your farm system and, and build a winner um, is extremely difficult, even if you have that farm system. And we're, we're still so far away. Um, I mean, this is good. In some ways, this is going to be kind of a lost year for the Tigers. It feels like one way or the other. Um, and, you know, and, and that doesn't help matters. I mean, it, it, the, the predictions of like, yeah, 2023, 24, when you could start really having some hopes for the Tigers are starting to look a little bit more realistic than the, uh, the 22s that, that we used to hear earlier on in the, uh, in the process. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, Jay, I know you've been reading, or at least you got a copy of, of Future Values. So be, you've been reading that. Um, so I'm sure you'll have some a few thoughts on this. But... Um, I mean, one of the things, Joe, you touched on at the beginning was, was, the, was just about the, the way scouting has changed. Um, and this, this class is kind of unique in that, you know, there's going to be no scouting of them for most of March and April um, and, and May. Um, but we've reached a point where the knowledge base is, is you know, super deep. Um, we've got all the numbers. We've got exit velocity on these guys. We've got their spin rates. Uh, all, the, all this stuff is known and cross-referenced. And so teams are probably in a much better shape than they would have been a couple of years ago to handle a, a draft like this. Um, but how do you, I mean, how do you feel generally about the way all this is changing scouting player evaluation and, and, and it's sort of impact on the future, because it feels like it, it's rapidly getting harder again to have an edge um, the way that teams did over the last five years as sort of all these new paradigms rolled out, whether or not it was, you know, receiving, and the shift, and then coming to understand spin rate and spin efficiency, all those different things. So uh, are you more, are you referencing uh, the the virus at hand, the pandemic at hand, changing everything? Or are you talking about just the, yeah, the more about progression the, of scouting in general? Yeah, the, the change in scouting and, you know, the influence of all, all these different metrics that we have now and, and sort of what that says to a team that is trying to catch up to teams that are ahead of them, you know, and, and find an edge and and be that team that is, you know, that is building the stronger farm system and finding the less heralded players. Yeah, so I, I definitely think we're at a point in time when uh, identifying impact talent uh, is a lot easier and a lot more universal than it previously was. Uh, I think pretty much most draft boards, uh, the top, 30 or 40 are going to be very similar uh, to one another. And you're going to find the same types of players all the way through, you know, the first five rounds, uh, to be completely honest. What's really going to differentiate a player 
popping or not is going to be the player development once they get inside of the organization. It's going to be the messaging. It's going to be, um, you know, the mechanics. It's going to be, I, I don't like to harp too much on the Rapsodo and uh, the things like that just because the, a lot of these kids are just kids. You know, they're 18, they're 19, they're 20. They don't understand their bodies. They don't understand um, fully how they are affecting a baseball when they spin it, for example. Um, they just haven't been in baseball long enough, and they haven't been um, introduced to those types of things for a long enough amount of time to truly understand it if you throw it in front of them uh, when they're 18 or 19. Now, that being said, I've scouted a lot of different high schoolers and JUCOs out here in the state of Washington that do have that type of equipment. Uh, and all of the independent training facilities, such as Driveline that's out here, um, it's, it's a, it's a culture out, out in the Pacific Northwest, being able to identify talent and, you know, take someone that throws 85 and have them throwing 93 in three months. It's, it's something else. Um, so well, I think, well, and, and maybe, maybe I can put a little bit finer point on it in just that, um, you know, you at least can tell now like some innate characteristics, like if a guy, you know, there are, there are people who believe, you know, that. You know, obviously, you can teach these things to some degree or another, but but being able to spin the baseball is somewhat of an innate trait. And you might also look at it from the standpoint of more of these guys have been exposed, you know, to that kind of teaching than would have been the case even just two or three years ago. And so you might think to yourself that maybe there's less meat on the bone there for that kind of of development and training than maybe there used to be. I'm kind of kind of thinking along those lines. You know, I don't. I don't think so. Just because someone has the ability to throw ninety-five uh, doesn't mean that they necessarily know where it's going, and it doesn't mean that they necessarily understand their body and how that mechanic is affecting their body. So, um, durability is the hottest topic right now in player development, and allowing someone to stop tearing their UCL. So, at the end of the day, we're all going to have similar scouting reports on some of the top prospects that are coming up. It's going to be up to the player development staff on these teams to be able to ensure that their mechanics are tied enough to where they're not going to hurt themselves. And beyond that point, it's going to be developing the player to, at least on the mound, um, be able to command, pitch backwards, uh, have a mentality to where you can succeed at the big league level. Because like you said, the difference between being a big league number three starter and a quad A guy it's not in the stuff. It, it, hasn't, it's, it hasn't been in the stuff for a decade. It's been in uh, the intangibles. It's been in the mindset, and it's been in things like that. So being able to identify and um, you know, work with the type of personality that you have there, that's, that's like you said, that's kind, of the, that's kind of where the money is made. Yeah, like kind of being able to – I mean, some of that is knowing yourself, like being honest enough with your own organization to know what you're good at to know, you know, who's going to fit with, with what you're, what you're best at doing, all those sorts of things in order to figure out like who maybe you can help more than some other people do. It just feels like, um, you know, when, you know, people like to reference like the Astros rebuild, but all the, you know, all the things that the Astros kind of bought in on early, like most of that is, you know, unavailable at this point to a team like the Tigers, even if they knew what to do with it. Um, And, and yeah, I mean, I just think overall it's making it, it is making it trickier to find where the edges are um, maybe than it was a couple years ago. And, and this kind of comes back to just like repeated conversations we have at bless you boys um, and among Tigers fans about how, you know, we need to follow the Cubs way or we need to follow, 
you know, the Astros way. We're going to rebuild like those teams and, you know, and everything's going to be fine. And, you know, it just feels like the circumstances of those, you know, those, those teams were so much different five or six years ago than we're, where the game is and where the Tigers are right now that um, it it just feels hard to sort of unpack all that for, for some people. So, yeah. You know, I will say here in Seattle, uh, we had a similar player development issue at hand before Jerry DePoto got here. And from everything that I've heard from uh, folks in the industry and everything that that I've read, uh, it's all in the messaging. It seems as though we would have one coach and, and one hitting coach and one pitching coach telling a player to work on this and do this and do that at one level, they would do that. They would get promoted, let's say, from uh, A ball to high A, and you'd have another coach that doesn't have a universal messaging uh, plan set up for that same player. He would get an entirely new set of instructions, an entirely new thing to work on, entirely new mechanical uh, fixes, and that would confuse him. And it would stall. And then he would go to high A, he would go to double A, he would go to triple A. And by the time he's 23 years old and he's knocking on the door of the big leagues, a lot of his prospect gene has fallen off because as a, as a prospect, he's just confused. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be working on. He doesn't know who he is anymore on the mound. And sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes it's, it's as simple as you have the stuff. Now let's simplify the messaging on how to get you better. And it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in the film room, if you're on the field, the messaging needs to remain the same and that has worked dramatically in Seattle. It seems like every player that the, that the Mariners have selected, whether it be Kyle Lewis or Evan White or Logan Gilbert in that 15 to 18 range, has popped and become a, uh, a, a you know, Evan White's a top 50 prospect on a lot of publications right now. He's going to be the big league first baseman. Logan Gilbert is, is now being called an ace by some people. Yeah. Jared Kelnick, Jared Kelnick is, is a little bit of a, an outlier because he was selected so high, but he was number 70 or 65 when he was traded from the Mets to the Mariners. And all of a sudden he's one of the top six to eight players in baseball. So um, I think a lot of it comes down to just communicating. Yeah. And within the organization, you know, too, yeah. Being able to coordinate that message from each level um, as a player moves through that, that's a a similar story to the one Nick Cassianos told over and over again about every level, a new coach would come up to him with a different key you know, he would try, you know, what they were saying, trying to be amicable. And after, you know, after you go through that once or twice, you kind of figure like, eh, nope, nobody can help me. You know, no, you know, should I listen to any of these people? Can I trust any of this advice? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, coordinating all that and, and having kind of a, a centralized approach, you know, with, with strong, it feels like overall the position of coordinators and, you know, the and the director of player development is a lot more, you know, sort of far reaching and hands on than maybe it would have been, especially in an organization, you know, that, that's more traditional like the Tigers and maybe the Mariners were um, even a couple of years ago. It feels like they've at least, you know, finally kind of come around on that score um, to understanding that, you know, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to cons- consistently evaluate the player, what they need as a group and whoever the point man is at whichever level has got to be able to convey all that um, and, and keep them on course. And keep them confident, obviously. That's, that's the other part of it. Not uh, not build it all up so much, you know, to where you're you're actually undercutting the guy's confidence because that's a big part of it, too. Jay, any uh, any feelings more about the Tigers org here and uh, what we can look for from these jokers? <laughs> well, they're jokers. That's not going to change anytime soon. I really wish we would have just hired Bloom. God, I begged for that for so long. Didn't happen. <laughs> or maybe just not fire Dave Dombrowski. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure this is Dave Dombrowski's Ballywick really either. Um, but well, I, he'd come in here. Have Dombrowski or Avila? Well, Dombrowski would have come in and gotten uh, you know gotten something for Kristen Stewart before you know it became apparent that he probably wasn't going to be a particularly good major leaguer. Actually, here's another question for Joe since you're a Mariners fan. Um, when you see the the volume of trades that that Depoto makes versus what I would describe as as a much more passive, non aggressive approach from from the Tigers, where they're not. You know they're not wheeling and dealing and, and saying to themselves, "Ah, oh, we like that guy. We're just gonna we're gonna do what it takes to get him." Um, I, and how do you feel about uh, Mr. Depoto on on that score? I think a lot of the trades uh, honestly end up being inconsequential, uh, and they're publicized. They're highly publicized for for no reason. I mean, a lot of them were, yeah. You know, a lot of them were non movers. Um, so I actually wrote a story for Lookout Landing this past oh. August or September that looked at the Jerry DePoto era and it identified how much war the Mariners traded away and how much they actually got in return. And I want to say that Seattle was like negative 43 war um, over the past four years. But at the same time, you know, that's not taking into consideration the Jared Kelnicks and the Justin Dunn's and the Justice Sheffields and the, the guys like that who haven't had the major league experience whereas what they're shipping off the canoes the paxton's the edwin diaz's the things like that they're accruing war um at the same time so yeah no i think i did i did um, did want you to say that it had all come out to be a wash because that would have been amazing (laughs) no it hasn't but no i think i think there does there does reach a point where you've done so much tinkering that you need to let the pieces fall into place and you need to let the culture build so i think we've reached that point um, that being said, Seattle is still lacking in uh, high-end, you know, big-time pitching, and they are going to have to, without a doubt, spend, you know, fifty million dollars a year on big arms, or they're going to have to flip uh, some of these prospects that they've acquired over the years for, you know, someone like a Jamison Tyone or an Alex Wood or something like that this season, just to to fill out their rotation for a competitive team. So, for the most part, I think that they're pretty much done. Yeah. And, and it's been it's I mean it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of think of the two approaches as almost you know they've been almost the opposite, and there must be must be some middle ground middle ground there. But yeah, Alavila is just a guy who worries me because he never you know he just really never makes a trade until he has to, and it uh, I don't know. You, you well, would you, you would, s- would you rather be would you rather be Brody Wa- Van Wagden fans? No, I mean I, I don't necessarily love nope. that either. Yeah, it's always <laughs> it, it's always it can always look greener on the other side. Um, yeah, <laughs> but it does. But it does. It just worries me in general when a team doesn't you know doesn't make those kind of trades ever because I just feel like they don't trust themselves. You know, I, I just feel like they're and Alavila has made some comments over the past two years where he talked about you know how hard it basically he's basically come out and said how hard it is to draft hitters and how you know we have all these measurables with pitchers it's so much easier and uh yeah that um that didn't sit real well with me <laughs> at the time i mean i think there, there's certainly some truth to that um but yeah you know you can look at it either way i suppose you know it hit you know the the injury risk for pitchers is so much you know different and, and higher that um that that could just be you know kind of a counterbalancing force for it as well um I don't know. I mean, I, I've also made the argument that, you know, if you are deep in pitching, you know, when you go to spend those free agent dollars, you can spend it on bats, which are a lot safer commodity to buy in free agency than, you know, the Chris Sales and David Prices and such of the world. So I don't know. It, it's a lot of moving pieces and um, who knows how it will all come together for the Tigers. 
Uh, I always root for for Seattle out, outside of the Tigers because for whatever reason I have an affinity for you guys. I don't know what it is. Plus, I like Evan White, and I really wanted yeah. to draft Jared Kelenic too. So <laughs> we're the lovable so we're, we're the lovable losers. Have you guys been watching that Dorktown video no. on yes, uh, I have. the series? Uh, yeah. Oh man, it's that one it, they just put amazing. up like the one they just put up today or was it yesterday? So the one they the most recent one gave me like. T- outrageous goosebumps and i don't give one crap about the mariners you know what's <laughs> but crazy the about writing that. in that series is so incredible because john boyce is just amazing and the mariners have a surprisingly compelling story so i oh they do yeah. you know we we live we live that double down the line uh 25 years ago <laughs> to this day i mean yeah the last time we made the playoffs was was six years after that so um yeah it, it has a huge, huge place in this culture out here. It's 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 a fun little documentary. Yeah, yeah, that was cool for sure. Yeah, and I mean, there's just been a lot of players I, I I've liked, and it's always hard. I feel this way even about Kershaw with the Dodgers. Like I would have, I just would have really loved to see Felix get get a shot to pitch those big games in October, and I would love to see you know Kershaw win a ring for for the same reasons. Now that we've got Verlander and uh, Scherzer both have a ring, I can I can kind of let that one all go. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, just just to kind of wrap it up here. If there's anything uh, kind of getting you through the quarantine here, um, music, movies, books that you want to promote, anything uh, anything that's been just striking your fancy and keeping you uh, sane during all this. Um, for me, well, Future Value has been uh, yeah. a godsend. That that is a really really good book, um, and I think it fills a it fills a bit of a void that wasn't out there in uh, in I guess you'd call it the nonfiction realm of uh, baseball writing so i'm really enjoying future value um as far as music and movies and all that goes um yeah i've been been doing a lot of both <laughs> honestly <laughs> yep. a lot of writing a lot of, a lot of podcasts a lot of writing um but we'll get through it i mean three three or four more weeks and we'll we'll reevaluate how things are going and we will have baseball this summer it will happen yep at a certain point you can only this can only go on so long um you know I, I, if I feel some optimism out there and the numbers are looking a little bit more optimistic. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, yeah, in a couple of weeks we've, we've kind of got enough data gathered to, to really be fairly convinced that we've got this thing kind of squashed and, uh, life can start getting back to normal. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've been reading well, future value as well, which is, and which has been, yeah, super educational. One thing, one thing, one thing I do want to point out, and it's just because it's left an impression on me. You guys are probably extremely familiar with Emily Walden. Oh, yeah. Um, she is doing, and I don't know how much you guys have talked about it. She's doing a fantastic campaign right now to support minor leaguers, yeah. uh, whether it be through, um, you know, donations or, or just helping them find work. Um, I can't, I can't, um, give that enough of a shout out. So, um, if Emily listens to this or, or anybody is listening to this, um, go donate and, and provide what you can, because even though they have the spectacle and the sparkle of being quote-unquote big leaguers with big league potential uh, a lot of these kids are making twelve thousand dollars a year and that's only if they're playing so uh go help where you can yeah yeah that's a great point um and i'll also shout out our uh, our buddies over at uh, tigers minor league report who've been helping mm-hmm. her uh helping her promote that cause a little bit yeah emily used to write for us as well and yeah she's a regular guest on the on the podcast and a uh, a fantastic person uh, who cares a lot about the people she writes about and it and it's shown in you know from her writing, but, um, but yeah, especially, um, in, in starting such a great cause and helping these guys to find work and, and, uh, yeah, give people a, a place where they can donate and help out and, um, and network as well. So yeah, shout out to Emily Walden. Um, she's always got the minor leaguers backs there. 
Um, Jay, yeah, I was just asking Joe, kind of, you know, what's getting you through the quarantine? Any uh, any shows, any music, any books you want to uh, want to promote real quick before we jump out of here? I just got uh, NBA 2K20, and it's my first experience with NBA 2K, and I am abysmally bad, and it's been a hilarious and delightful experience. Um, <laughs> I, I I've also had a lot of time to do writing. Uh, recently, once everything calmed down, the first week of this whole ridiculous adventure, um, I didn't get jack squat done for uh, Motor City Bengals. But lately, I've been able to do quite a bit. Um, so that's been really enjoyable. I was hoping to start Future Rally tonight. I haven't started it yet because um, the household that I'm living in, we have an immunocompromised individual here. So anything that comes in the mail, we don't touch it or open it for two days. Oh, yeah. So today... I was going to be able to get it because I got it in the mail. It was a gift from a good friend. Um, and I was going to read it today. And then today was stupid. So <laughs> I'm hoping that when we're done here, I can finally crack the spine. Yep. Um, yeah. It's been great so far. I mean, it's really, um, I think you have to go back to dollar. What is it? Dollar sign on the muscle, um, which was kind of the classic scouting book of the eighties. Um, and it's nothing like that book, but uh but something that's comprehensively about scouting and about how the industry goes about it, I think, has, has been long needed. And, you know, even a lot of the, the information in there that, you know, I, I've come across elsewhere or, you know, picked up from Eric or Kylie. And it, just to have that whole reference there together with, with that much information available um, as a reference is, is going to be fantastic. And I'm sure, yeah, I'll be I've read it already once, but, yeah, I'll be referring back to it, I'm sure, for a long time to come. I keep telling myself one of these days I'm going to learn how to um, scout uh, pitching mechanics and I just keep not doing it. Um, it's, you know, some people say they're going to paint the deck one day. I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to do it. And we have, you know, another, another three weeks of uh, shelter in place orders here in Michigan. So maybe I'll do it. Yeah, we'll find out. Well, I hope we get some uh, minor league baseball eventually, and uh, yeah, you and I will get out to a game, and we can uh, we can talk about some of that stuff. In the meantime, you're just gonna have to head over to Trevor Bauer's channel because, uh, my God, you know, I'm 45 years old. I wish so badly that 30 years ago I would have had access to that amount of uh, of good information as is just coming across, you know, from Trevor Bauer's own channel. Let alone Driveline or anywhere, or the Hitting Vault or anywhere else you want to go. Um, it's a it's a mm. great time in uh, in information for baseball. Yep. All right, boys. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, anybody got anything coming up in the next couple of days you want to promote? Joe, got anything coming out shortly? Article-wise? Podcast-wise? No. no, we're going to be doing some more podcasts with uh, draft guests. Uh, we've got some for some 2020 big league draftees that are going to be drafted this this July that are going to be coming on at, uh, at Lookout Landing, as well as some different uh, draft experts that will be joining us on the pod. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. And uh, we are just finishing up our Top 50 Prospects podcast series, and that should be coming out next week. Uh, we're going over some, uh, you know, the Evan Whites and the Jared Kelnicks, and um, should be a good time. Awesome. Right on. How about you, Jay? Anything coming out shortly? Uh, well, we do have um, an individual who's going to be writing a guest piece for our site at Motor City Bengals. Who was able, he was able to interview a 40-man roster member, and he's going to be writing that up. Uh, so look out for that. I was able to interview Enrique Hernandez Jr., who's a draft prospect this year. Um, we didn't talk about him, but he's a he's a prep outfielder, 80 runner, decent hitter actually for an 80 runner, um, elite defensive center fielder, and a, he's supposed to be a tough sign, a Vanderbilt commit. 
Um, So I wrote that up and that went on the site this morning. I am really pleased with how that turned out. So if that sounds even remotely interesting to anyone, please go over to Motor City Bengals and give it a read. Awesome. All right, folks. Um, yeah, I'll have Joe and Jay's information in the uh, in the podcast write up and everything, so you can uh, find them on Twitter and keep track of all their stuff. Um, guys, thanks very much for coming on. Um, hang in here a couple more weeks, and hopefully, we'll have some baseball. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep. Absolutely. Joe, thanks a lot for it. being on. Yep. No problem. Take care, guys. Good night.